Welcome, everybody, to this week's edition of Mind the Gap, Enablix's only podcast seeking alignment between sales and marketing teams. My name is Nick Zeke Lopez, and this week uh, we have on the pod uh, Nelson Gilead. How's it going, man? Yeah, good. Hey, everyone. Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me. Really excited to uh, be with you today. I think, you know, it's going to be a great discussion. One of the, you know, I think I've kind of or sort of pinpointed one of the big reasons why there's uh, marketing and sales alignment or misalignment rather. So excited to kind of dive into detail about that. Awesome. Now, now you mentioned that you've pinpointed it. Uh, you are the author of uh, The Death of the BDR. So kind of taking shots there in your book. But but before we get into that, can you give us a little bit of introduction? Uh, who are you? Uh, where do you come from? And, and how did you get to sales and marketing? Yeah, sure. So, you know, uh, as you said, I'm the author of The Death of the SDR. SDR, and the SDR. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they, yes. they, they call it anything these days, right? It's ADR, XDR, whatnot. But uh, yeah, I'm the author of The Death of the SDR and the Birth of Buyer-Centric Revenue. And, you know, I've been in B2B marketing and sales for, you know, six or so years and have worn all the hats, SDR, AE, AE and CSM together, product marketing, demand gen, content marketing, etc. And, you know, I've just seen a lot of the problems that I think a lot of people are starting to see marketers, sellers, SDRs um, that were very frustrated and that it feels like we're sort of in a in a like an operational straitjacket and you know I see a lot of turnover, I see low tenure, I see, you know, low performance among teams, I see low job satisfaction across uh marketing sales and SDRs. And that just kind of got me thinking like, you know, what's causing this? What's been sort of the history in B2B marketing and sales? Um and that led me to sort of realize that, you know, marketing sales is running on uh an outdated playbook from the late 90s, early 2000s, that kind of jams marketers and sellers in a straitjacket. Um, and that is causing the frustration and people to have less productive and fulfilling careers. And so what I've done in the book is kind of explain what that pay- playbook is, you know, how it came about, and why it's no longer fit today, um, and why it's the cause of the problems today, and then have presented a, a new playbook called the buyer-centric uh, revenue model, um, that I think is an alternative and hopefully will help folks move in, in the right direction and kind of liberate us for for more enjoyable careers, especially SDRs. And and that's and that is the hat, right? You are you are the the liberator today, uh I I believe. <laughs> yeah, you know how uh you know marketers can be, you gotta, you know, put a little sizzle, razzle dazzle. And so uh exactly I, I think that's sort of the 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 message here is that I think people are And by the way, that sizzle yeah. that sizzle is why I have to be shirtless for all the promos. For this podcast. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You got to have the hook. And I think that's the, you know, that's my kind of call to action to people is I think that, you know, you, you um, there's a turning point in B2B, um, you know, as there was a turning point 20, 30 years ago and with the, with that old playbook. Um, and now you have a chance to kind of make a change in your field and to, help kind of uh, modernize B2B, you know, that playbook, that go-to-market playbook, so that we can have more enjoyable careers. And so I encourage people to think on this, to to discuss this, uh, and and to some extent act on it. Um, you know, you've, you know, who, you won't have many opportunities in your career, hopefully, to kind of do something like this. So Right, right. Now, now some, I do like that in your book, uh, you outline what you see as the issue, and you also provide a solution. And, and, and we will get to that. But first, let's talk about the problem. Now, now you, you posit in your book that, that you're upset uh, almost. You, you can read in a lot of the words about the 
the predictable revenue sales model and and being used today. Can you give us a high level outline of of what is the predictable predictable revenue sales model? How is it being used today, and and why is it upset you so? Yeah, great question. So, uh, as Nick, you know, as you pointed out, the that old playbook from the '90s, late '90s, early 2000s is called the predictable revenue model. Um, that is the playbook that B2B companies run on to some extent. Um, it, they don't always do it to, you know, its fullest and take it straight. They they have to dilute it because it's such a outdated model. Um, but I'll explain kind of what the predictable revenue model is. Um, so basically, this guy Aaron Ross um, popularized the predictable revenue model about ten years after it was put into practice um, in 2011 in his book, basically called Predictable Revenue, um, and it calls for two things. One is a marketing thing, and the second is a sales thing. Um, the marketing thing is is prospecting um, through SDRs. So rather than having sales do it, um, which they did historically, that we would have this new unit called SDRs that would do prospecting full time. And we'll talk about why I think prospecting is marketing and not a sales thing, and and, and what is prospecting. The second thing that Predictable Revenue talks about is a sales thing, and it's the sales assembly line or seller specialization or buyer handoffs. And that can be today, that's typically the account executive or AE, and then the sales engineer or the SE, and then the customer success manager or the CSM, followed by the account manager or the AM and various other subdivisions within that. Sometimes it depends like how many subdivisions there are. But it's basically kind of, an, you know, putting the buyer on assembly line and kind of I would say stunting sellers and, and them only being able to handle a certain aspect of the, the sales process and the buyer relationships. We'll talk more about that. And so fundamentally, this model that was created, you know, 20 or 25 years ago when put to practice, it hasn't really changed. And the changes in buyer preferences and technology and what marketing can do nowadays and what sales can do nowadays is totally different. So, you know, I, I, I think that, um, this this old model, which you know obviously delivers a, a bad buyer experience, and which is why I call it the buyer centric revenue model. In that, like, if we're if we're going to be successful in marketing and sales, and as companies, we need to kind of conform to how the buyer wants you know to to be wooed, and not try to jam them in a in a lousy buying experience. And so I think that well, then, well you reference a yeah. lousy buying experience, but there was obviously a reason for it at a time, right? Uh, you you say uh, uh, right, it's by experience. But I'd rather, as a buyer, work with an expert at each part of the journey. What has changed to to make that no longer, in, in your mind, applicable to today's B two B sales world? So I think fundamentally, from a buyer's experience, like and why it doesn't work today, it's it, you know they they don't like SDRs, they don't like that kind of pushy aggressive marketing, and they don't like prospecting, they don't like telemarketing, email spam, or LinkedIn spam, which is what I think prospecting is. Like the essence of the the essence of prospecting, the essence of the SDR role is primarily telemarketing, and uh, that's not how buyers buy today. And there's so many better ways that that buyers are learning about, you know, products and services, and learn and gathering information themselves, and basically self-educating themselves thanks to marketing. And there's a lot of things that then marketing can do to then facilitate that in, in a buyer-friendly way, so that you know buyers are become aware of you. They like you, they consider you, they evaluate, and they, and they hit that speak to sales button or get a demo button, um, you know, when, when they're ready. 
And so then when you know buyers do want that, they just want to connect directly to the expert. They want to connect directly to sales. They don't want to have the whole ring around the rosy with the SDR who's banting them and things like that. And nowadays, marketing can automatically qualify buyers right on the website and then connect them directly to a seller's calendar, just like in ZocDoc, you know, for, for if anyone's familiar with that, when you book a doctor's appointment, you just, you know, you know, just pick pick a time and you're good to go. And so that's what that's what buyers can do nowadays on the website. And marketing facilitates that. I was going to say, you know, so much of what I see, too, is uh, the reason that it's almost people are shoehorning it in. I was, you know, I, I was talking the other day. Uh, I was looking for a uh, a gifting platform, and nearly every gift platform I saw did not list the pricing on their website. Instead, had like you said, like the 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 SDR two step. When all I I knew I had a minimum price, and it ended up that they were all above it. But but the reticence to put information out there to get better qualified, they they almost shoehorn the SDR into the middle of what could otherwise be a seamless process. Yeah, it creates a lot of friction, and so you know marketing today. Being able to provide all that information out there on, you know, in their content and their social media and their ads and when they're doing events or, or influencer marketing and co-marketing and customer marketing and community marketing and thought leadership and, you know, a million and, and one things that marketing can do nowadays to get your message out there, get it consumed by buyers and that when buyers come to your website, they can learn like what they need to learn, how the product works, who's it for. Like, what are the outcomes and benefits? What are the features? What's your pricing? Like, oftentimes, you know, historically, companies were sales-led. Like, there really was no marketing. There was just like you had sellers and sellers would do this kind of manual marketing. Plus, then they would do sales. And, you know, this, you know, and everything, all the information for buyers was hidden behind sales. Now, that information is out there on the Internet. And you're put in marketing is basically giving buyers that information, giving them value, giving them content, helping them, you know, level up in their profession and like do all the stuff. So they so they come to become aware of you. They attend your events. They consume your content. You know, they consume your message mm-hmm. and what you're about. And and that fundamentally is what I think marketing should be striving for. And so I think today that prospecting like should go as I see it as a very inefficient and ineffective way to do marketing relative to what marketing or, you know, good modern marketing can do nowadays you know, particularly demand gen. So I see like demand gen um, as like the unit within marketing that's basically replacing SDRs and um, can replace SDRs and should. Um, And so I think there's a lot of hidden costs or I think basically today companies have a mixture of SDRs and demand gen. They have a mixture of prospecting or what I consider bad marketing and a mixture of good marketing. And so um, I think one of the reasons that th- this prospecting still kind of continues why you, you know, you have people full time who are annoying buyers with telemarketing, email spam and LinkedIn spam is that companies haven't distinguished, um, you know, or they haven't separated good marketing from bad marketing and then analyzed them both separately and factored in all the costs and the opportunity costs and all this type of stuff to then say, whoa, 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 like, this is not like prospecting and SDRs is not worth it. We should completely, we should basically and what I call for or what I suggest companies do is that they do this comparison and then they have an experiment and then they gradually transition. They repurpose SDRs. They give them, and I'll talk more about this if you want, like, and then give them quarter relief. And then, you know, then you kind of do a gradual transition phrase. The SDRs end up in like doing more fun marketing stuff, which they would be thrilled with. They can't, you know, they can't wait to escape the SDR role anyway. Um, and well, then yeah, after and, and that, for many of them, yeah. that's true. So I, I, if you could for me, 20 seconds each one. What's bad marketing and what's good marketing? Yeah, so bad marketing is annoying your buyers with telemarketing, email spam, and LinkedIn spam and trying to like get them to 
come speak to sales and just be like this pushy, aggressive, spammy, intrusive type of marketer. And so it's like, yeah, buy now, buy now. It's like that guy who comes up to you on the street and is like, you know, trying to push you into the <laughs> store and stuff like that. Or it's the jerk at the bar who's like, come home with me um, type of thing. <laughs> and, and, and so what I see that good marketing is, is good marketing is the opposite of that, you know, and, and it's more effective in the short term and long term. Um, but it's basically, it's like, we're going to get our message out there. And as I mentioned, it's content marketing, it's social media, it's events, it's thought leadership, it's community, it's, it's customer marketing, you know, it's, you could do a free trial, you could, you know, have it and also on your website, putting all the information out there on your website, um, you know, case studies, you know, all the million and one things that marketing can do nowadays, you know, paid ads on social, having a podcast like this and inviting your guests on, you know, doing co-marketing. So bringing on like your, you know, that you're the people you audience you want to sell to and co-creating content and then distributing that on social media, all this type of stuff, you know, and, and, and doing referral marketing. So you could do referral marketing as well, like, Hey, refer a friend or whatnot, or hit people up for referrals. All this stuff is that mar what marketing can enable. Okay. So in your book, you outline, and it's there in the title, this idea of buyer-centric revenue and the buyer-centric revenue model. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and how it differs from the, the uh, predictable revenue model? Yeah, so the buyer-centric revenue model basically sunsets prospecting in favor of you know, good marketing or demand gen. And then it basically sunsets the sales assembly line or seller specialization and buyer handoffs in favor of a one-to-one -one relationship where you've got, you know, one seller and he, you know, they have a portfolio of customers. And so it's a one-to-one -one relationship between buyer and seller, which is what the buyer prefers. They don't, they don't like these handoffs and uh, it's also good for the seller. Then they have more growth, more efficacy, more responsibility. They, you know, they can properly build a relationship. And then that seller can bring in almost like a project manager, bring in other people within the company when needed to like help, you know, the buyer purchase or, you know, if they need a technical expert, they can bring in a technical expert, like bring in someone from product or product management, whatever to, help with certain technical questions that the seller can't handle or bring in someone from the implementation team, you know, to help customize the solution and, and whatnot. And then the seller, of course, has a separate department called customer service that, that helps customers with, um, you know, the, with, with just sort of troubleshooting and, and, and stuff like that. But fundamentally, it's just a one-to-one -one relationship. And again, this seller isn't going out there and doing bad marketing. They are receiving like, really good leads, hot leads, you know, website demo requests from marketing, people that are, you know, in buying mode and uh, more likely to close and close faster, like sales isn't wasting their time chasing people like these, these buyers, you know, when they come into the website, yeah, they, they've got those are those are great buyers. And hopefully they also have affinity to your company. And they're not they're less likely to include other people uh, in that evaluation, because they're like, you know, I really like you guys. And you guys, you know, have clearly have educated me very well. I feel very comfortable with you. I think oftentimes people, they shop out or buyers shop out different folks because they, they just have no idea about what the solution is and they haven't, you know, they're, and, and yeah, I mean, of, and well, and this certainly creates a shorter, cleaner sales cycle. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you advocate for, for doing away with the SDR AE handoff, right? So get oh. rid of SDRs prospecting, have you, and you, whatever you want to call it, we'll call it an account executive, but, but, but what you posit sales. Do you also do away with the sales and customer service manager handoff as well and just have a consistent company point of contact the entire time? Yeah. Uh, I, I, so that's what I'm essentially like that AECSM split, which is the main subdivision within sales. So you've got, you know, one seller that helps the buyer to with the initial sale and then they just chuck them over the fence to someone else to handle with expansion, expansion, retention. And the seller is like, what? Like, sorry, the buyer is like, 
you know, what's going on? Like, you know, you've, you've sold me and now you're kind of handing me off to someone else so that they can then sell me something else or sell me more. And, and it's just like, it's this terrible handoff that buyers hate. And it's, you know, it, it, it just, it, it's a poor experience. You ask any buyer about that. And if you think about how you want to buy in your own life, it's the same thing. You want one point of contact who's accountable to, to you throughout. And for a seller, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, I, I've been an AE and I've been an AE and CSM together where I had a portfolio of customers. And I think that that's mm-hmm. where that's why people go into sales. It's like, you know, you, you help this customer and you help them be successful and, and you help them grow and whatnot and buy more. And it's great. And like, you know, you, you feel pretty good about that and, um, you know, helping them have a really great sales experience as opposed to just being this like part of an assembly line. And then if you think about it from the company's perspective, it's like you've got a bloated sales org. And that's where and I think a lot of companies, yeah, they suffer because they've got too much headcount and too much bloat in organizational complexity. Mm-hmm. You've got marketing and then you got inbound SDRs and you got outbound SDRs and then you got account executives and sales engineers and then you got the uh, CSMs and then you got the account managers. And so that's seven different teams within marketing sales, which is why they create, they, as a band aid, they've created revenue operations who are the people behind the scene trying to manage like all the different tech and processes and tools and this and that. I mean, that's just a bandaid that, I mean, it's not solving the issue that you've got all this unnecessary and counterproductive complexity. And so, and for companies, it's very expensive to employ this model. You need a lot of headcount and you need, then you probably need to raise a lot of money and give up a a lot of ownership of your company to venture capital firms in order to basically pump in, or I would say waste a lot of money into this model. Well, you know, speaking of, of, of high spending, you come up pretty harshly against uh, the idea of quota, of salespeople needing to hit a quota and exceed a quota, uh, saying it, it's, it's not equitable um, and, and that a salary or call it a base plus bonus is a far better structure. Um, but but I, I think that, you know, for a lot of time, that's been a discussion among the, the best way to do sales. I do know a lot of people go into sales for the idea of uncapped uh, income. And the idea of going out and, and making your own pay. Can you, so first of all, why is quota unfair and inequitable? And second of all, can you get the benefits of quota without quota? Can, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so just to kind of set the table a little bit. So in addition to challenging the predicted revenue, in addition to challenging prospecting the sales assembly line, I identified sort of two other problems that um, primarily affect sales, but also downstream effects on marketing because marketing sales are both joined at the hip and responsible for revenue and, and all the business uh, metrics. Um, so if sales isn't doing well, that that's bad for marketing. If marketing's not doing well, it's bad for sales. But in any case, those two problems are quota and commissions. And I think that are, are two ills that affect sales. And so I think primarily sales today um, is really in dire need um, for mon- modernization and like elevating this, this role. And, uh, and you know, I think it's it's reason why like sales has remains to have a really bad reputation and why sellers are suffering the high turnover and, and low tenure and low productivity, low performance and low job satisfaction, why it's so churn and burn and uh, why it's, it's unnecessarily this high pressure environment and like this, you know, they basically starve you of compensation and then they give you these short term like production requirements and saying, hey, you are responsible for so this type of, of this revenue in this short amount of time um, and that's all we're going to measure you on and that's and, and then also we're going to tie 50% of your pay to it which is what the commission is and so I'll break down both quote and commission but I just want to kind of set that table there where it's I see I see you know overall the the sales profession if you look at prospecting and then you look you know so basically if you're a salesperson today and you want to get into sales you're forced to do prospecting full time through the SDR role and then when you finally get into sales oftentimes you're still forced to do prospecting 
And then then you've got the sales assembly line commission quota kind of to deal with. And I think that that's it, it, it's what makes the role so undesirable and why many people don't last very long in it and typically go into management or leadership or something else. Anyway, but yeah, what a, a quota should not really be confused with a goal. You know, basically what, what a quota is, is uh, in no other department has quotas. And like, so there's a, there's a very subtle distinction in that a quota is this short term, you have to produce X amount of revenue, and it's tied to 50% of your compensation, which is what commission is. So a commission compensation package is basically 50% salary and then 50% commission pending quota attainment. So it's like, hey, Johnny, it's half upfront, the guaranteed predictable revenue, you get your salary and then half pending this outcome, the buyer's decision to purchase. Um, you know, and I think that commissions uh, and quota, the the whole purpose of really having them is not to benefit the seller. It actually hurts the seller, which I'll cover and why. But it's basically to pressure the seller, to pressure the buyer and encourage pressure selling and basically to create desperation in the seller so that they, they kind of go and nag buyers and, and yeah, pressure them, which is a lose-lose for sellers and for buyers and also for the companies who do that. And there are a lot of companies, smart companies who've gotten rid of commissions like Monday.com and Pluralsight and CultureAmp and Backblaze and Microchip Technology and have seen the light and have gotten great results on it and just have better sales teams. And so I think that if you're a sales leader today, that you should really stop wasting your time with quotas and commissions and build an effective sales team and, and get the best talent and give the best buyer's experience and, and you'll be way ahead of the game. Um, I know you want to jump in. I'll, so you, I'll, you, go ahead. Sure. Yeah. I, I was going to say, so you mentioned pressure selling. Uh, and then you mentioned a lot of names that are that are that are, as you say, forward thinking, uh, going going less quota and commission base. Is that only possible once you're once you've hit a uh, certain? It's called a marketing level, a level of of name recognition, like like the the companies you mentioned, some level of of people knowing who they are, either national brands. Is it possible that that you know the the introducing urgency into the sales cycle could be a good thing for smaller companies? And and if not, why not? Yeah, I mean, no one wants to be pressure sold, and it turns buyers off, and they tune out. And um, you're, you're going—I mean, it's just—it's again, it's like anytime you, even in the dating world, if you use the same analogy, trying to pressure someone, it's like it's, um, it's, it's, it's a lose lose. Um, and so, you know, fundamentally, get a good marketing engine, and marketing precedes sales, and you know, you've got good leads, and then it's sales' job to sort of facilitate that purchase and close that demand from from marketing, and so. You know, the best thing for a sales team is to have a really good marketing team backing you up with hot leads, like the point guard in basketball, who's really good and can give the ball to the center to slam dunk it, you know, so it's like, you know, give that layup. Um, and so, but fundamentally, just to kind of go back to, to quoting commissions. So what I recommend regarding commission, just to kind of unpack, and I spent a lot of time in the book talking about this, um, because I think a lot of sellers get screwed over with it and they, there's a lot of misunderstanding. 50% of your, inc- uh, like what I argue for is basically a full salary. Um, so your full OTE, essentially, more or less, as salary plus a bonus. Um, so you get the whole cake plus icing. Whereas with the commission, it's like half a cake, which is your salary, and then the other half the cake, which is commission, which you have no idea if, when, and how much you're going to get. Um, uh, and the buyer's decision to purchase is largely outside of your control. You can't force a buyer to buy. You've got actually very little influence over that decision. If anything, marketing has more influence uh, than, than sales. And so, when, you know, the buyers self-educating most of the way. And then by the time they come to sales, it's just like checking off a few boxes and things like that and whatnot. And so 
um, you know, a seller could do everything right, but it's still up to the buyer. And oftentimes a buyer may buy despite the seller because the need is dire or marketing's done a good job and the product's really good. And it's like, you know what? Yeah, the seller didn't really help me that much or the seller wasn't so good, but you know, I, I know what I need to know and you know, th this product is going to work and whatever. So I would say for a seller to then basically be in a position where you have a very low salary and that you've got like unpredictable income and that's largely outside of your control is very undesirable. And it depends also on marketing. Like, is marketing going to give you good leads? Also on the product. Is the product any good? Is there demand for the product? And so, you know, it's not a desirable form of compensation. Like, if you're going to go work for someone else and get a nine to five, the whole point is that you get a steady paycheck and benefits and, and whatnot. Um, like, and you sure, get, but, you it, but it is, right? They're like, there are a lot, like, I know them, you know them. There are a lot of people that like that. Like, there are a lot of people that directly like that and go and seek that. Is there, I don't say, is there a balance? I, I think that you're advocating for two different models or for a different model that I, I'm going into a world of coexistence. I think you're, you're arguing for much higher compensated uh, sellers that are also much more uh, cross-functional and a, and a much, uh, it's, let's call it a resource allocation to marketing, which, hey, marketing brings in more qualified people. The seller handles the most of it, but all in all, they make probably more money, as you said, right? More money, more stability. And I think that can work when you have a predictable marketing engine, which, which we're not going to address here. Like that whole, there are, are, are hundreds of pages. But I, I think that like what you, what you talked about, right? Unpredictable income, potentially huge upside. I think there are people that seek that out. And, and I, I think that in B2B sales, that's still possible. But I, I think that there just needs to be a time that, that a company shifts from a, a more sales driven to marketing culture. Does that make sense? And, and do you see reasons for not for each uh, model to coexist within a company, but for a company to pick one and graduate to the other when they're ready? Yeah, no, I would say um, commission is so undesirable, really, for a seller. I think there's some sellers who look at commission, they look at gambling or, or stock speculation, and they try to chase that sort of thrill. And I think that's like foolish financial decisions. And that, you know, as you're a seller, like you should want predictable income, you should want the, the salary that, that's within like, based on what is it within your control. If you also think about commission, and you think about, okay, not only everything else that Nelson has just covered, but on top of that, you know, there's all these complicated nuances and thresholds and, and accelerators, accelerators, whatever that usually change every year. And that uh, on top of that, your commission resets when your quota resets. And oftentimes your quota is unrealistic and it's a stretch goal and this and that. And so, you, you know, whether that quota resets quarterly or annually or whatever, it makes it very difficult to, to plan and budget, especially if you have got financial obligations like a, a mortgage and a house and kids and things like that. It's variable. It, yeah, it's variable unpredictable income. So it also makes it harder to get a loan and it gets taxed higher. It's, a, it's, di it's treated differently than, than a salary. And so, you know, I think you need to kind of take into context all this type of stuff, you know, under a full salary and a bonus, you're getting a full salary and a bonus, whatever your OT is. So you're getting paid or should get paid, you know, a good chunk of money like other people in B2B and that use that money wisely. You save, you invest, maybe you have a side hustle. Like if you really want to make massive money, the ways to do that is to like have side hustles and passive income and investments and or start your own company and, and own your own company. But if you're going to go work for someone else, the smart thing to do financially and also as a lifestyle, it's like you get pressured so much because of your commissions and it's like it drives you nuts and all the gimmicks with commissions and then all that unpredictability. So it's really, really not smart financially. It's not smart for the company to instill that in their sellers. 
you know, and you look at the how sellers are suffering today and the cost of turnover and all that type of stuff. And then you look at the harm it does to buyers with pressure selling and bad fits and overpromising, underliving, all that type of stuff that it can encourage. And it's like, it doesn't benefit anyone to have commissions. And one of the best things that like these companies who I mentioned got rid of commissions is like, it's the sales teams have done so much better. The sellers are way happier that, you know, they can take vacations and they can work and teamwork and work together as a team, work cross-functional team. That's not like the, oh, you're getting, you're standing in front of my paycheck or like, and it's the same thing with the buyer. It's like, you're not standing in front of the buyer's paycheck. And so it's a great, also a great buyer's experience. And it's a massive competitive advantage. If you say we have a no commission sales team, we're paying our salespeople properly. They're going to help you properly. And they're not, you know, it, they're not going to try and pressure sell you. And I'm, you know, as you mentioned, side hustles. I, I have a really cool side hustle calling buying 10 lottery tickets a day. The guys, this works. You buy, you, you get it. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Don't, don't uh, buy lottery tickets as a side hustle. No, uh, well, I mean, speaking of si- side hustles, though, uh, can you tell me a little bit about how you, how you came to the book? Uh, how, how, uh, given your, your experience, what made oh, you yeah. write it, what going through it like was like? Yeah. So, you know, I, I started off uh, as an SDR at a very big company and then I became an AE and, you know, I was still basically um, an AE and an SDR combined at that company. I still had to do prospecting. In other words, I was a quote unquote full cycle AE, which is basically a fancy word for saying an SDR and AE combined, which is like the worst thing. Yeah, and I saw how bad that was. I saw how ineffective it was, inefficient it was, how under like all the all the costs and, and the harm. And so, you know, one thing I want to like stress to people um, that I think would be very helpful is to kind of unpack like how inefficient and ineffective that is, is like compare the leads generated from prospecting versus the leads generated from good marketing, in other words, website demo requests, and then compare. So compare those two, look into your CRM and look at the metrics that matter to evaluate marketing. And that's, you know, revenue, number of customers, number of opportunities, cost per opportunity, conversion rate, sales cycle, cost per acquisition, cost per acquisition payback period. And then you'll see like which method of marketing produces better results at better cost, like which has better ROI, you know, which and then you consider how much resources you're pumping into either one, how much resources you're putting into SDRs and prospecting versus good marketing. And um SDRs are and prospecting is massively resource intensive, time, capital, labor intensive. And so you're basically saying, well, I'm putting a lot of resources into that. I'm not really getting much out of it. Well, maybe I need to rethink that. And then if you also consider the fact that what it does to talent, like you've got all these bright young folks who could be doing much more productive, fulfilling careers, or, you know, whether they're aspiring sellers or they want to get into marketing or revenue operations or whatever, and you are kind of wasting them and they are suffering high turnover, low tenure, all that type of stuff. And then... So what was it, was it, I mean, just to that, is that what drove you to the book? Or, or uh, what made you decide to like sit down and be like, you know, I'm going to start writing? Yeah, sorry, I went off on a tangent there. Um, but <laughs> no, I, I want to come back. I want to come back to that point because that's something I think that people really need to understand the hidden costs of prospecting and then be able to like look at their own company and be able to analyze this and, you know, take action. But maybe we'll come back to that. And so basically it was like, yeah, I saw how bad it was at that company. And the company had like no marketing. The marketing was like terrible. And so, and, and they were so, you know, and I saw it just like, if you look pretty naked at the SDR prospecting model, it's like awful. And the company suffered and the company wasn't making any money. And the company uh, eventually got sold for a $300 million loss and it ran at a loss. Uh, you know, I think if you think about it and a lot of money was sunk into that company, but anyway. Then I went to a startup and uh, it was like a six person. I was the six person. I was six, we were a six person team for a year and um, we had a great marketing engine and 
you know, it brought in those website demo requests. And I was basically, you know, the, the AE slash CSM plus wearing a couple different hats like product marketing and a little bit of demand gen. And it was a game changer for me because I saw what good marketing looked like and I saw what good sales can look like. And then at that same company, we were also selling into at some point SDRs. Um, we had a marketing tool and we were selling to both SDRs and demand gen. And I saw how ineffective SDRs were with this tool versus demand gen. And I saw that like, and I said, we need to focus on demand gen. And once we focus on demand gen, everything changed. And, and like the company grew massively and, and, and like it was just way more successful. And I saw that like there's no need really for SDRs. There's no need for prospecting. There's, you know, you've got demand gen. And then I started to learn more about what demand gen is when I was selling to this audience and, you know, marketing to this audience and plug myself into the demand gen world. And I, I understood what good marketing looks like. Now, I, I mentioned in the beginning that like companies don't separate their good marketing from their bad marketing. A lot of companies also don't realize what good marketing is nowadays. And marketing has made tremendous advance, advances in the past years and can do so much stuff nowadays. And, you know, some companies, again, they're still running the outdated playbooks, the outdated marketing playbooks. So a lot of companies, even they, they don't even have great marketing and the, or their marketing isn't doing so well because they're still trying to work on this whole SDR type of thing. And they're still doing things from like 10, 15, 20 years ago that don't work anymore, you know, or, or, very, or very inefficient and ineffective. And so... I saw that at that company. I said, okay, let me sit down and write. And I was trying to build out the ideal model for this company, for this small startup to kind of go to market. And that's when I did that model then end up morphing into a book. Cause I said, in order for me to have sort of to have the freedom to, to do or to have this model, like I think you need to get rid of the old model. You need to challenge that. Mm -hmm. You need to change like CEOs and CMOs and CROs and venture capitalists ideas of, hey, what's a good marketing and sales playbook that companies should use for growth? And so my contention is that to the extent that people run the predictive revenue model is sort of the extent of its harm that like buyers buy, markers market, sellers sell, and companies grow despite it. And and that they it's because they have to do other stuff instead of it. Um, and look, you can grow a company with bad marketing. I mean, it's just going to, you know, depending on the quality of your product and product market fit and demand and competition and margins and venture capital financing, that growth, uh, you know, will still be less if with bad marketing, it'll still be harder, it'll still be, it'll still take longer and be more costly. And, yeah. and yeah, and so I was like, you got to write a book because a LinkedIn post is not enough. And, and even a guest podcast, and I'm so grateful for this, for this forum. Um, but it's like people, when they saw the predictive revenue book in 2011, like books, people need a book. People need like a framework that they can yeah. strive towards written down and codified in something. And, and, um, that's what I, that's basically, I set up what I needed to have to do in order to be able to do the type of marketing that I want to do. And right now, like I want to, I'm all about marketing. I think that marketing, um, right now for B2B companies is, is, is probably the strategic place to be winning right now in the market. So I, I would say that companies are now should be moving towards like marketing led as opposed to traditionally sales led. And that what we sometimes call product led is really marketing led. And so, you know, but it's like, that's, you know, a free trial or whatever, or buyer sell service is just one component of good marketing, just educating buyers enough to the point that they can take a free trial and take it for a, a test drive or that they can purchase. But there's, you know, even good marketing that drives people to sales. Um, that is, is what people should be striving towards. And is that the next book? All about marketing <laughs> by, uh, by Nelson Killian. <laughs> the next, the next book will, cause like the first book kind of lays out the theoretical foundation, um, and sort of like a model for people to strive towards to the extent that they can and, and what, and whatnot and sort of adopt to their own needs. The second one will probably be uh, the playbook saying, okay, based on the learnings and all the testings, like here's the best way to go about it. 
And a big part of my book in the, the, the current one is to help companies take action. And so what I recommend to people is like, okay, so, you know, start with mark, you know, fix your marketing engine first. You go and you analyze prospecting versus good marketing. Uh, do that comparison of the leads. I showed you factor in the cost, what it does to talent, the fact that it turns buyers off and it causes them to tune out. So if you're doing all this telemarketing, email spam and LinkedIn spam, it's like, you know, a lot of buyers are telling, or tune, like getting annoyed and they may not tell you that and you may, you may not record that in the CRM, but they are pissed off and they are turned off. And so there's a cost to that. And then you fa- and then if you also consider the opportunity cost of like crowding out good marketing, all those resources that could go into good marketing, all the d- stuff that demand gen wants to do and wants the freedom and resources to do, but they can't because they have to do all this stuff to support the SDRs, which is why demand generators are rebelling against the so-called MQL hamster wheel because demand gen is and a lot yeah. of marketing is stuck having to generate a lot of contact info of uninterested buyers, which is what an MQL is. So an SDR can go and do the prospecting, telemarketing and stuff like that. And so I would also say that one of the reasons why sales are struggling today and why they're missing the revenue targets is because basically marketing is producing junk leads. We talk about misalignment. The fundamental reason for uh, misalignment is that marketing is producing junk and then sales is caught on the hook for revenue. And then we talked about commissions and half their compensation is, is tied to that. And that thanks to quotas like the, you know, and so... So basically, and I and I, I think a big reason of that is prospecting. It's like you know you're putting a lot of high volume of junk through the pipeline, and sales kind of has to deal with all these low quality buyers that aren't interested in buying or whatever, or just kind of price shopping or whatnot. And then so you, you you're just putting a lot of junk through, and then that creates a lot of misalignment, and, that cre- and it creates sales inefficiency as well. So there's a lot of cost to take into account. So we're we're just about a time. Uh, do you want to let uh, the listeners know anything that you've got coming up? Is it the new book? Uh, uh, what's next for Nelson? Yeah, so you know, um, you know, follow me on LinkedIn. I'm trying to break this stuff down. Check out the book. Um, you know, run this experiment at your company. Like, compare the two models. Kind of compare the old playbook and the, the extent of the new playbook that you, that you have at your own company. Prepare a business case. Experiment. I recommend that you automate inbound demo requests on the website the qualification and scheduling right to an AE. So you kind of sunset the the inbound SDR and you repurpose them to other marketing stuff, give them quota relief, they'll be thrilled. And then on the out you know, on the outbound side or whatever, the the prospecting, you gradually reduce their prospecting their the number of telemarketing calls and email spam and LinkedIn spam that they do in, in gradual increments and repurpose them, give them quota relief and let 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 them do other fun, more productive marketing stuff and and work on your good marketing. Um, work on your good marketing engine, and then eventually, basically, you sunset prospecting and SDRs are, are in better roles within marketing. And from there, they can go to other roles in sales or in revenue operations. And so I would encourage people to run that test, to run that experiment, and, and be able to transition towards good marketing. And then for sales, there's an, it's a similar type of setup that you can do um, to kind of change sort of or make gradual you know change in your sales org. And uh, yeah, and so... You know, right now I'm sort of promoting the book and, you know, getting the word out there and having a lot of discussions with people. And I also, you know, to kind of help people implement or move from A to B, uh, I founded B2B Marketing and Sales Consultancy called Buyer-Centric Revenue. It's a very creative name, I know. Um, but, you know, in order to, to help people transition and to, to see what good marketing looks like and, to, and good sales, you know, to the extent that they want to adopt it. So that's kind of what I'm up to now. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, Nelson Gilead, turning marketing around. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, everyone. This has been Mind the Gap, a podcast about sales and marketing alignment put on by Enablix. My name is Nick Zeke Lopez. Thanks for listening.